Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and I hope you're ready for a cultural crash course today. Today we have Paula Blair, the host of Audiovisual Cultures Podcast, a podcast that explores different arts and media and how it affects our culture. Sounds familiar, right? Well... That's because I've appeared on her podcast and had a wonderful time and wanted to bring her on to explore more on why she's going forth and exploring the different arts of the world, just like myself. Anyone that wants to support artists is someone I am more than happy to show love and support to. And you should too, with the links down below. You can support the podcast by subscribing and checking out our previous episodes with the plethora of guests I've had on before. You can also rep the podcast by checking out the merch shop in the description below. Finally, if you want a place to chat about the podcast, consider joining the Apocalypse Podcast Network Discord server, where you can chat more about this podcast and other outstanding ones in the network, and we can have some fun too. In fact, let's hear about another sensational podcast in the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Because this virus attacks the lungs. It's never more infuriating when you realize that your life has a price tag on it. The truth of the matter is we are in the middle of an apocalypse. There's no leadership. I went from being an ER nurse to you're a healthcare hero. I feel like a sham. Apocalypse Now is a podcast that asks if we are living at the beginning of the end. I'm Joanna Van Thine. Join me as I talk with interesting people and decide if we're all doomed. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. I actually do appreciate the fact that you got the sticker on the microphone, too. That helps with, like, additional visual representation. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really good to see you. It's It's, good to to see you again. It's wonderful to see you again. Trust me, Mm. I I still go back to that podcast that we had, as well as some of the other ones you've had on uh, your podcast podcast as well because i just love listening to what you got going Aww. on there i listened to your mo- you. i listened to your most recent one the the fading fame with uh pam or whatnot. yeah that is a great episode i love like oh, what she you. i love what she was like presenting and everything i i love the the stories that she was basically recounting whether or not they were true or not like it, it's it's a it, it was a great podcast and she was a great guest so Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I've been really lucky with guests and you've been one of the people I've been really lucky with this year. It's been great. I really appreciate you listening. I do tend to listen to yours as well. I'm a bit behind because I find something that I've got really obsessed with. So I'm behind on all my usual podcasts. I, you know what? I, 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 I do listen. <laughs> I appreciate that. But it's one of those, like, it, it's not going anywhere. So if you fall a little bit behind, that's fine. That just gives you a random I will just catch, catch up. up. <laughs> I will catch up. You've got really fantastic guests as well. It's great to hear all their stories. Uh, I I try to. I mean, we talked about this. You know how I try to go forth and like present these people more or less, like yeah. give them that platform, including yourself, which is why I wanted to have you on. <laughs> it's really kind. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. More than anything else, for giving me your time because. Mm. I can only imagine how busy you could be here and there. <laughs> you got one of your t-shirts on. I do got one of the t-shirts on, yes. Wow. Look, you, That's look, fab. You had to represent yourself with the sticker. I got to represent myself with the shirt, okay? <laughs> yeah, you've me out of the water, though. I've got a little sticker on my mic, and you've got a full-on gorgeous t-shirt. That's ah, great. You're, just trying to, <laughs> you're trying to butter me up. I'm the host here. I'm supposed to be no, buttering you up. <laughs> 
I am adorable. Oh. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Paula, before we get started, I must ask the icebreaker question I ask for every single podcast. What is your most unpopular art opinion? I've got many unpopular art opinions, I would say. And today I'm going to go for, I, I'm okay with Damien Hurst. I'm okay with Damien Hurst. Okay, care to elaborate on yeah. that a little bit? Okay, so Damien Hurst is very hated, I think. UK artist, okay. multi-millionaire. Uh, art collector as well, stupidly rich, um, and comes up with very outlandish things um, that often insult people, gets a lot of animal rights activists very angry. I'm somebody who's a vegetarian, um, but, you know, I can see what he's getting at. This is a guy, if you've ever heard of somebody who puts sharks in formaldehyde, this is him. Or used live dying and dead flies in cages and boxes mm. that's him you know um but also did uh things like um really massive large-scale sculptures um has done a, a lots of series of sculptures um you know those anatomy dolls see where you learn where all the or organs go yeah, by I know exactly yeah about. So he ripped that off and did these massive sculptures that look like those. I mean, they're exactly like those. They're basically enlarged replicas. And the person who came up with the... I'm sorry, I've forgotten all the names of these people. But the, the person who actually created those anatomy figures for educational purposes, mm -hmm. they sued. And he paid them off out of court. You know, this is somebody who's just got money to burn. Um, he did a really famous photo shoot with Rihanna and made her into Medusa. So they did this photo shoot where she, in the photos, it looks like she's covered in snakes. But, you know, it's all photoshopped in. Um, At least we'd hope with the amount of money, I wouldn't be surprised if he got all these snakes in there. <laughs> Yeah, not they're not in with Rihanna. So they got real snakes and did a photo shoot with them with a mannequin. And they got Rihanna uh, with these sort of, um, you know, these green things, you know, just sort of, you know, like sort of draft excluders. Right. You know, they look a bit like that, like long stretchy tubes that mm. just draped around her you know, naked torso and stuff. Um, so stuff like that, you know. Okay. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you seem to be telling me all like the negatives that was about you know this person, but like, why do you personally? <laughs> why, why do you personally like their art? Well, I think it's it's a point of intellectual stimulation, and I I kind of get a kick out of him making so many people angry, mm. um, because I think there's so many things to be properly angry about in this world. And what he does is actually pretty provocative in terms of getting you to think about this stuff. You know, you you people who wouldn't think twice about eating a slab of steak, but they're really super angry about this great white shark in formaldehyde. You know, they don't think about, well, where do your cosmetics come from? How are they tested? Okay. But there's these animals that have been tested on and, and dissected and made into art you know so um you know there's the mother and child where it's a a, a cow and a, a little heifer you know they're cut in half lengthways and right. displayed like that in an art gallery so it's really taking the idea of the dadaist ready ready made and pushing it to extremes 
Okay. You know, making making these things so caged animals, so animals kept in captivity or who are or that are captured in the wild. Um, and it's just you taking that idea and making an art object out of it. Yeah, yeah. Basically just like what's already basically out there in everyday life and pushing it to its limit on when it comes to just like animals and how they're treated and you know how mm. they're presented more than anything else. Like that's what he's trying to go for at the end of the day, which I mean, now that you explained it, makes perfect sense. I, I, mm. I, I understand and I get it, but nevertheless, the fact that you appreciate him, is that a hill that you're willing to die on? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just give me a diamond skull on the hill and I'm there. <laughs> Has it been has it been coated in formaldehyde or has it been contained in formaldehyde? He's he's done this thing where people have excavated, you know, from real skulls, real human skulls, including oh. baby skulls, they've been excavated from you know their burial sites, and he's purchased them and made casts out of them, and then covered them in platinum and diamonds, okay. you know, and precious jewels and okay. stuff like I the like you you jewelers like um you know. Uh, so the bees, I think it is in London, like they've they've ju- they've bejeweled them, but with precious precious stones, and these things are worth millions and millions of dollars. I, I was go- I was about to say I'm glad you include the fact that he makes casts of them and then does that because if he just takes the skulls and then just jams mm. like diamonds on top of them, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> that's a little far. <laughs> I think people assume that it's the real skull, but he always makes copies. Nothing. There's no such thing as an original work in his stuff, especially with his sculptural work. It's all casts and copies. Right. I I find it really fascinating. Anyway, it's one of those. But it's, people it, hate him. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> like, it's one thing to just you know, it, it, it's one thing to, to purchase the 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 skull's head and like have these people or whatnot, but to defile them, that's above and beyond his standards. Mm. But these are people that are forgotten about. They they they're in they're in unmarked graves. Right. They would have no life otherwise. These were probably you know they may have died of plague and been in mass graves. They may have been um, you know, workers that were sent down mines and been killed and nobody cared about them. They're anonymous graves, you know. And he's taken something like that and made that into a precious art object that is invaluable as a as an object of worth in this world today you know so again i find that the ethics around it are very questionable and i really love things with very meaty questionable ethics because i think you have interesting discussions out of it and i think that's really important i mean i couldn't agree more we've already had a little interesting discussion about this i do want to <laughs> i'll go on the record and say whenever i die and people find my skeleton years later for whatever reason go ahead and make art out of it i don't care um <laughs> Probably have exactly you, have more use for my body than I've had in the living world. Anyways, um, <laughs> with that, I cannot think of a better way to start the postmodern art podcast. Welcome everyone. I am your host Nathan Raglan. Uh, feel free to subscribe or follow whatever streaming platform you prefer. I'm a part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com for more about this podcast and other outstanding podcasts in the network. And Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> she is a researcher of film and visual cultures with a PhD in film and visual studies, among other accolades she holds. She is also the host of the Audio Visual Cultures podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Paula Blair. Ooh, thank you. That's an amazing introduction. Thank you very much. I try to, I try to make sure to go ahead and put my guests on that pedestal ahead of the time. How are you doing today? 
I'm good. It feels so special after that. Thank you. <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Now I'm actually getting a chance <laughs> to sit down and chat with you again. I have already appeared mm. on your podcast. I had a blast, so I figured I'd repay the favor and bring you on mine. Uh, but before we really divulge to what you're presenting, I want to go back just a little bit. I want to know the origin stories of Paula Blair. Oh. What exactly got you interested in art and film in the first place? Good question. How far back do we go here? Uh, let's see. I was quite a creative child. Um, I think this is something I'm rediscovering in my adulthood. Um, I was always making stuff and I always had a, a project. Um, if, if you've got any listeners in the UK, and especially if they're around my age, they might know a show called art attack um and this is uh, one of my favorite shows and it was a, a an artist called neil buchanan who used to show you how to do all different things so with art you could make stuff and he used to do these really elaborate uh, types of pictures and stuff um but you wouldn't really know him in the states so i'll i'll move on but i i wish i, was, I knew him in the states because it sounds like a great <laughs> show oh it was so good it was it was so formative in my childhood you know it was just so bursting with creativity uh, and all different and it would just show you different kinds of things that you could do and it, you didn't have to be great at drawing or anything you just you know it, it demonstrated quite simple abstract things that you could do and try and um how to be effective with just household objects and things so it was a lot of you know using um you know your your toilet roll rings and your kitchen roll holders and things and okay. just stuff that you would find around the house you didn't necessarily have to have you know fancy art supplies and a box of acrylics or anything um you know so that that was a big inspiration to me and I loved just making stuff um and then I suppose then uh, academically I was very interested in literature and um, I, I devoured books and I read all the time and I ended up studying English literature um, and I was really interested in doing some sort of media or something along those lines because I loved radio um, but I just didn't have an avenue into any of that really so so I, I studied English literature. I was I was pretty good at science, but I, I just didn't have the educational opportunities to follow certain pathways. Mm. So I stuck with humanities, stuck with literature, was applying for university. Um, I used to love watching really weird films. So <laughs> it's a very rambly answer to your question. But um, as a teenager, I you know had a lot of sleeping problems. Um, I've yeah. got lifelong problems with insomnia. So I was up, you know, really late at night all the time and that would be when um back in the days of terrestrial television when in the uk we had four channels um you know channel four and bbc2 used to show all the weird indie films that you wouldn't normally get to see um and so that kind of sparked an interest in me for cinema um and i loved going to the cinema as well uh, i was very privileged to grow up quite near a fairly small cinema, which is now an arts centre that's a charity in Belfast. Um, and, you know, so I, I had quite a, a good experience there of just watching and consuming lots of weird and wonderful films. And so uh, um, 
when I came to apply for university, I really wanted to do an English literature degree. But then when I was applying, I found, oh, you can do film studies as well. I didn't even know you could study movies and films. So I applied to do a joint honours degree and that's what I ended up doing. And um, I did the whole literature thing and I was a lot better at literature than I was at film. Uh, and But it was film that caught my interest, I think, like... I thought, you know, I've got this literature thing down mm-hmm. and I need a challenge. Um, so I ended up doing a master's degree in film studies because I felt like I was just I was just getting somewhere. I was just starting to understand this because people think, oh, it's just watching movies all day. It's much, much more complex than that. I'm sure you know yourself, Nathan. Yeah, a lot more intellectual, a lot more analyzing, you know, stuff like the, the symbols and the signs that are like pres- present in film, what kind of uh influences and what kind of uh like messages are trying to be subliminal and all this kind of, like there's a million different aspects that you can pick apart with film mm-hmm. which a lot of people try to do on twitter to varying degrees on success mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and there's a huge amount of context because there's a historical context of place and time yes. there's society there's philosophy um but there's the industrial con uh, context as well you know film industries and oh, how does that change according to nation yeah. is it a small nation is it a big place like the us you know or, or china or something or is it um you know very local very regional um are people scrabbling around for funding or is it abundant with money um you know so there's there's loads of different factors that go into looking at film anyway so i ended up doing a master's in it and then when I was doing my master's, um, uh, the lecturer who was supervising my dissertation said, look, there's this opportunity that's come up for a PhD. Are you interested in applying? So I applied and I got it. So I went straight into a PhD. <laughs> so I did all eight years without a break. Um, and it was when I was doing the PhD that I realized, well, because uh, I had done a PhD where I didn't come up with the topic, I applied to do a topic that was provided. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the, the topic that I'd applied to do, it was the wrong question. Um. So, yeah, so I, I was doing the research and I thought this is the wrong question, or at least it's not an interesting question. Mm-hmm. And I'm just continuing survey work that prior professors had done before and it was boring and it wasn't answering any useful you know it wasn't producing any useful knowledge I didn't think Um, and so I ended up looking at uh, and art galleries as well as what was happening in cinema and I found more useful answers to my questions so if you want we can get into what specifically I'm talking about but basically that was my avenue into looking more at visual arts um, and broadening out from cinema and thinking about a more borderless approach to this collection of media and these cognate disciplines um, and really starting to move fluidly across them. So quite a long story. (laughs) It's a podcast. Long stories are encouraging. You kidding me? We gotta get at least an hour right now. I'm joking. Um, But no, like it's incredible to know just kind of like, you know, what little seeds were sparked by, you know, in your case, like Mm. insomnia, you know, brought upon with, Mm. you know, whatever weird films were being presented on the telly, you know, what started off there eventually you like spiral, I guess spiraled or tumbled into like this incredible, like opportunity that you have, 
as well as these challenges that you're more or less presented with. I mean, if you want, I'm more than happy to listen more on this, like, you know, dissertation or this, you know, this question or whatnot. Like, what exactly was the question and why was it about it that just, like, turned you off of it and wanted to, like, look at a different aspect of art in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I'll backtrack a tiny bit and um, tell you that for my master's dissertation, what I looked at was documentary surrealism. So two, you would think quite incongruous topics, but actually documentary is just as creative and sometimes as outlandish as, as any you know, not not even fiction film, but even experimental film. Oh yeah. Um, and if anybody, if any documentarian or anybody who studies documentary tells you otherwise, please just think about it for yourself um, and question them because it's not true. I um, mean, I was gonna say, if I may put two cents, there are sometimes depending on like just the subject matter alone, like there's sometimes <laughs> like it could be stranger than fiction. What's what's exactly presented Absolutely. out there? And on top of that, like. You know, I, I'm again, I'm a film person just like yourself. So I understand, you know, when it comes to film as a whole, like documentaries, like mm-hmm. it's not just what the subject matter is. It's how it's presented more than anything else. So you yeah. can present something absolutely simple. But if you show like all the behind the scenes stuff that kind of went into it, like this absolutely normal thing, you'd be amazed like some of the, the outlandish things, the outlandish lengths people would go to in order to have this completely normal thing happen. For sure, for sure. Um, so I was looking at quite early films for that. So the films of Jean Vigo in France, who was somebody who died very young. He died at the age of 29. He made four films. Yeah. Um, but he could have been one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Certainly one of the greatest ever French filmmakers had he lived. Um, so I was looking at his uh, an early film of his called A Propos de Nice. And um, then I was looking at Luis Bunuel, who, uh, which might be a name that people recognise, somebody who collaborated quite a bit with Salvador Dali. Okay. So L'Age d'Or and Ancien Andalou. People will, may, your listeners may have heard of um, Luis Bunuel through those films, but I was looking at um, a, 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 probably a very early example of mockumentary that he'd made called Land Without Bread. Mm. Um and uh, and then I was looking at a British filmmaker called Humphrey Jennings, who was making films during the Second World War. Um, and these were all they were all documentary product uh, projects, mm-hmm. um, but they were highly experimental, uh, highly stylized, um, not necessarily telling the truth, maybe telling a version of the truth that was more truthful as a, to produce an idea that was more truthful than, than, than the actual truth. Um, just to make a political point, for example. Okay. So that was sort of a a backdrop to that. So that, that was an area of interest for me was that clash between, um, modernism and realism in the earlier period. And then what I ended up doing for my PhD was I was looking at uh, very contemporary work, so roughly 1990 to 2010, okay? okay. Um, so, so really contemporary, and it was very specific to... So it was... Um, so my PhD, let me just get the title of this right. Um, so it was all borders, new technologies, 
um, visual culture and social change in contemporary Northern Ireland. And then when I developed that as a book, the subtitle was Reframing Film and Visual Culture in Contemporary Northern Ireland. So I, I, I brought it so that it was more to do with film than it had been for the thesis. Okay. Now, that was nothing like the original. What it was supposed to be <laughs> was this programme for government study that was tracing the um, tracing film moving image production, say, on the island of Ireland from the re-establishment of the Irish Film Board in 1993 to Old I mean, it, it shouldn't be. I'm, I'm I'm joking when I say that, but I <laughs> I didn't find it interesting. Once I started to dig into it, I didn't find it very useful, because you know I'm from a place that is still emerging from a thirty-year civil war, right. uh, a thirty-year conflict. Um, uh, so a lot of so maybe some of your listeners may have heard of something that is labelled the Troubles. Um, I grew up during that time in Belfast. Um, and so a lot of what I was looking at was, well, I mean, a lot of what I was supposed to be looking at was just general, you know, film and television okay. being produced in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland post-1993, which really you're, the, you, you know, and the, the IRA ceasefires were in 1994 and then things broke down in 1996 but then there's a referendum in 1997. People say yes to peace. Um, so the the Good Friday Agreement is implemented and signed in 1998, where we've been in official peace since then, although there have been outbreaks of violence and yada yada. So that's the kind of timing that we're thinking about here is the backdrop of all of that. And really it's continuing work of scholars who were looking at Irish cinema and what was happening was, you know, them them inevitably having to look at films that were trying to deal with that conflict as it was happening. Right. And then you begin to move into a period where they're looking to the future um, or they're looking back to the past in a different way or they're looking at what this place could become uh, as the millennium approaches and so on and so forth. And Nathan, to be honest, I mean, a lot of the films and television shows that I was having to look at to do this, they're just bad. Like, they're just I, bad. I, they're I, awful. I don't blame If I may, and you can totally, like, put me in my place if I overstep whenever <laughs> I say this, would, would you say that some of the stuff was probably more or less, like, propaganda after a certain point, just trying to, like, convey the message they were trying to go for? Oh, it very much was. Okay. It, it very, very much was. And a lot of it was tourist driven because ah. it was, yeah. So a lot of it was, so it, it sort of became, right, we're going to tell this romantic story about, you know, this nationalist hero, you know, who's fighting the Republican cause uh, and, you know, is played by, um, you know, somebody really inappropriate. And you, you've got, um, uh, Sorry, Daniel Day-Lewis was in one of these films, uh, Some Mother's Son. So there's a, so there was a group called the Birmingham Six who were wrongly imprisoned for a bombing um, in Birmingham. And they, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting story, but it's not that interesting a film. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, 
Hey, you don't need to apologize. This is, this is all you. This is your podcast, all right? <laughs> if you don't think it's good, that's on you. Or, I mean, that, that's your opinion. I should just say, as a scholar, I don't really deal with, you know, film reviews and stuff. There but, I mean, it's really, really difficult to spend a lot of time. And, I mean, a PhD is giving your life over to this stuff. It's really difficult to give yourself over to stuff when you cannot bear to watch it. Not less because even if the acting is good and the script is good, people are trying to do this accent yeah. And people can't do this accent very well. It's very, very rare that it's people a, can do this accent. It's very rare to find someone to do a quite proper accent in the general, just in general. <laughs> like, it, it's funny. There's a, like, I'm trying to get into voice acting myself. And so, like, accents are obviously mm. part of that as well. There was a short film that was a part of, to where, like, I sent my audition in, but I had to do an Australian accent. And I had never mm. done an Australian accent before, but yet I got the lead role doing an Australian accent. And, like, what's I'm more or less worried about is, like, so I listen to my accent or whatnot, and then the person who is, like, starring alongside me is a legit Australian. So they've mm. got the accent down. So I'm like, is that going to like reinforce that I did a decent accent or is that just going to make me look like a horrible person in the first place? <laughs> but I, I like, I, I get it. Like, you know, especially with what you're talking about with the films that people are trying to produce, like they're probably trying to bring in these like big names that anyone could instantly recognize. And a lot of them trying to do an accent in the first place, not really their strong suit. Hmm. And sometimes the actors can usually do accents fairly well, but this one's difficult yeah. This one's really difficult. I mean, and this, this, how I'm speaking to you now is my kind of posh telephone voice because, because oh. normally any talk I guess here, well, not, not, not maybe that extent, I'm hamming it up a wee bit, like, but I would talk dead fast, you know, and you wouldn't maybe understand me and I'd be quite nasally and, you know, it just, you know, it would just fly by. It's just noises, right? It's just a wall of noise. To, to some um, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a tricky accent. There's certain words that we can't really get our mouths around properly, like the O W or O U sound. Mm. Sound you sound sound. That's how I say it. People people in England say sound, and that just is my mouth does weird things when I try to say it like that. Um, you know, and a lot of actors just can't really, just can't quite. You know, do that without sounding insulting. Right. Uh, anyway, so you know that that's a barrier. That's certainly a barrier. Um, but you know, there was there was just more interesting stuff happening for what was happening around me at the time that I was doing the the PhD. So I started it in two thousand eight. I just got the funding when the global economic crash happened. Oh, lovely. And the, the, yeah. So the funding I got. It, that program doesn't exist anymore that uh, was the last of that that just that just went after that um you know for example so i felt very privileged to have had that opportunity right um you know and i felt a responsibility and i felt that you know i was dealing with a very serious topic as well because you know i was i was trying to, i was trying to do it as it was set out and i was just finding you know i'm just not saying anything new here a phd is supposed to produce new knowledge out right. into the world and i'm there's nothing new for me to say you know and and film production in ireland i mean to just return to your point about propaganda you know film production in ireland it has always been 
pretty ineffective. It has never been for itself. It has always been really to feed the tourist industry and um, to, you know, so, so propaganda in the sense of come tired and spend all your money, rich Americans, hello. Um, that's kind of the, the point of it is to make the place sick breathtakingly beautiful so you want to come and play golf there and you know so so things get left behind when that happens when that romanticism is what's for you forefront and then what was happening around the millennium was that you were getting these immediate post-conflict films so you're getting these films set in belfast and films couldn't be made in belfast for a long time because it was being ripped apart by war, there were bombs going off all the time. You couldn't have, you couldn't have actors in costume as soldiers or police because they they may have been killed. You know, they may have been targeted by paramilitaries. They may have been their their lives would have been in danger. Um, so that that those sorts of films just couldn't be made there at the time. You know, a lot of these, that's why a lot of films were outsourced to the Republic of Ireland and different places in England. Um, And there were cities in England that would look more like how Belfast did in the 1970s, because this is a city that has had a few facelifts thanks to bombings uh, and being restructured constantly because it became more and more segregated along religious lines so on and so forth. So, you know, there was just a huge amount going on. And then there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of fallout from everything that's happened. And there were artists and filmmakers doing, you know, working in sort of more, more independent and more artistic areas that were were just getting it more interesting and more pertinent issues. Mm Mm-hmm than was happening in more mainstream film production uh, because that was really just gearing at tourism. That was like, oh, look, we're open for business. Come and give us all your lovely money. Like the Titanic centenary is coming up. Let's, we're going to start working towards stuff for that, you know, and, yeah. you know, because I'm from the city where that ship was built, mm. um, you know, so... So yeah, so there's there's just an awful lot of stuff going on. So yeah, the PhD became a different beast to how it was originally supposed to be. I'll shut up for a minute and let you. <laughs> Again, like I said, this is a podcast. You shouldn't apologize for just rambling because like the information that you're talking about, more or less, like I, it's stuff that I never like seriously considered, and I can only imagine how much my audience even thought about this mm. in the first place. So thank you for providing that, and I guess doing the research on that because I can only imagine like after a while, like looking into this stuff how much of a a soul-bearing task it must be just looking Mm. at all these different things because in fact that you grew up partially in it so i mean you Mm. you had the personal perspective but also seeing how they just wanted to just turn around and try to make money one way or another like again i can only how much of like a soul-bearing task it must have been for you to do Mm. that yeah i've spent a lot of years carrying other people's trauma to be blunt about it um you know as well as my own uh you know so yeah it's been a lot to carry um i mean i don't even know how much to get into stuff or or what to get into but you know um i suppose well i suppose it's useful and if if you're interested in it what i ended up doing for the phd then was was taking as i say this borderless approach and i did some research into 
expanded cinema because I needed to try and find a framework for all of this because I was looking at video installation. I was looking at works of cinema. I was looking at um, sculptural installations. I was looking at performance art, live performance art, um, photography projects, you know. So it became a very loose idea of what we mean by moving image production. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, it started to become more and more fluid. And I needed a theoretical framework with, for which to build scaffolding, to build arguments and to do the analysis of these works and right. to figure out what, what's going on here. What, what does all this indicate? What does all this mean? And so I then started to look at expanded cinema and um, so this is something, it's one of those where it's a bit like Fluxus, where it's not really a movement, but it's hard to know what else to call it. Right. And there's different versions of it in different parts of the world, but really they're all, they've got a very similar aim and, you know, the same names keep cropping up, but they're not really a tight group. And, you know, it's interesting. So it's people like the London Filmmakers Cooperative who as well were a little bit associated with Fluxus and loads of people in Europe. So people like Fali Export, um, Peter Weibel, I think, and um, people in the UK. So never can remember how to pronounce his name properly but Malcolm the Malcolm the Grice or the Grace whatever way you want to say it um and uh Liz Rhodes you know so people who yeah the very rendered down idea of expanded cinema for anybody who hasn't come across this yet it's to take the elements of cinema the elements that make cinema so basically that's light movement and space and you and an audience and so you take these elements and you split them apart Mm. you make them all visible and you make them sculptural elements in a space so um you know you can do live cameraless films so you can go to a live performance of an artist who oh i wish i could remember who did this I hadn't thought about, I hadn't really thought through what all I was going to talk about. So I've forgotten a lot of stuff that I probably should have looked up before. But um, I remember going to an, a conference about this and a lot of these guys you know, who who had done the originals of these works in the 1970s, you know, are old people now and were, were doing the thing, you know, re-performing these things or reinstalling their work um, in the Tate Modern in London back in 2009 and I remember there was this one where the guy he did this live thing in the auditorium where he had a very bright torch a flashlight um and um had this I suppose like a very loosely woven wicker basket sort of square shaped wicker basket and he did a thing where the the lights were put out in no they weren't no the, the lights were in a specific way in the auditorium and he had this very 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 bright flashlight and it was the way he was moving this basket over it it was casting the shadows right across the whole of the auditorium so we became part of this moving image that was being created okay. this play with light and shadow okay and so it was rendering all of those elements so the projection the light, the shadow, the movement, the audience, um, and the artist's body as 
screen and as the generator of the film. So screen projector, all of these things. So just to give a very basic example of that. And so that was really the framework. That was the model upon which I built um, a foundation, shall we say, on which to start to construct all my arguments. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's certainly interesting the fact that you expanded it more than just like film because again you you went to mm-hmm. school to like study film that was like the basis of it i just want to know i just had curiosity how did this experience studying this kind of stuff mm. how did it reshape your perception on film that's a, it's a really great question um so something i get into in the introduction to all of this is returning to andre bazan's question what is cinema mm. so andre bazan was a, a film journalist in the 1940s and 50s he died fairly young i think he was only about 40 or something Goodness. but he was somebody that if you've heard if you've heard of all of the um French New Wave ones, so Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard and all those ones. Um, he was he was sort of part of their group. You know, they all knew knew Andre Balsam. He was this jobbing journalist who was writing on the hoof all the time. His writings were collected and published, and and one of his big questions was, "What is cinema?" Mm. This is a, a question. It's a challenge. And so really what I was trying to do was I was going back to that question because this person died quite a long time ago. This person, you know, like um, Francois Truffaut's 400 Blows, I think, is dedicated to Andre Bazin because he had just died. And this was in about, I think, I think 1959 or so. You know, so he he's. This is somebody who is quite long dead now today. Um, And so what cinema is today, he might not even recognize. Yeah. You know? Um, so this is a question we have to keep asking, and this is a very young medium. If you if you compare it to literature, you know, and, and written the written word and storytelling, even oral storytelling goes back way, way longer than written storytelling. Right. Um, film is such a baby medium. So it's still in a, it's always in a state of becoming, it's always becoming something else. And our technology has just exploded beyond comprehension, really. So we have to keep asking this question. And so this is something I return to and I'm I'm going like, what is cinema? And look at this expanded cinema stuff. Isn't this an interesting way of thinking about it? Does cinema have to be something that you, you experience fairly passively in a darkened space with lots of other people well actually it can be something that it's quite sculptural that you can experience by you being the thing that moves around in a space and it stays still you know so on and so forth so you know so asking that question was a big thing so it's really funny when i i think back to all of that that backdrop this big backdrop um and this quite global look at the backdrop of of all of this and people people in film academia just came to think of me as the northern ireland person (laughs) when actually i was studying so much more than that northern ireland was a case study for right how do we take all of this information and apply it to what artists and filmmakers are doing in this 
post-conflict society. And I'm using scare quotes there because what do we even mean then by post-conflict? And it's never really finished. It just stopped being as violent as it used to be. You know, so there were people who who said, so Edna Longley is a, a, a writer who said that it's really only post-conflict and that it's already being archived away and we're being told to forget about it and move on. Um, does that then make it post when actually it's very much still in our present? We we carry the trauma of it. It's going to take generations to to get this out. And actually it's a bit like the Irish famine and that people are still traumatised from that because it's this generational post-memory trauma that because it's never really been dealt with properly or acknowledged. And when you're told to just move on and forget about something, well, that's post-trauma. So... You know, that's kind of where we're at. I was going to say, when you talk about post-trauma, you're, you're talking to an American here who still have people that yeah. uh, are, are still traumatized by the effects of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, civil rights movement, civil war, like all these different like conflicts that our own country has had. So I can only, ima- I can mm-hmm. only imagine what for you guys, especially something that's still fairly as fresh as that, you know, mm-hmm. like it's you said yourself it's going to take generations and even then like that's still a question mark nevertheless because you'll know how future generations are going to be analyzing it you'll know what different sides the future generations are going to be you know thinking of when it comes to different aspects of it It, it's conflict is never like truly gone when people say that it's gone there's always something underlying there and i mean i imagine that for you analyzing all this different you know cinema and all these different aspects of it i you can correct me if I'm assuming this, but I imagine for you, it really opened your eyes when it came to like just seeing how much of effect it still had, you know, even in this short period when it is quote unquote gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tremendously. I mean, um, I mean, certainly when I was still teaching um, and I was teaching in Belfast, you know, the younger ones coming through, mm-hmm who were born after the agreement, you know, post-1998 babies, shall we say, um, you know, they would have this attitude of, oh, it's nothing to do with us. It's, you know, I wasn't alive. It's nothing to do with us. But you could see it. You could see that they were carrying it and that they would have prejudices. Um, Doesn't matter how you're being brought up. It doesn't matter even necessarily your parents. But if you're in a community and if you've been to a certain school, because education is still very much segregated along not just gender lines, but along religious lines where I come from uh, even today. So, you know, there's very few integrated schools in terms of both gender and religion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you know, I was 18 before... I really met anybody who was who'd been brought up Catholic, uh, and you know, even though I didn't consider myself religious, I was brought up culturally Protestant. So you know, there's a lot there to deal with, and you have to, you know, be confronted with your own prejudices with things. And that was something I had to deal with a lot in the PhD. Was from what position am I writing this? Can I can I achieve? objectivity is that possible and you know quite a big quite a big writing challenge for me was to try to write it and for people to not know 
which I was, because yeah. you have to be one or the other. You're not allowed to just be an atheist. You have to be a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist, yeah. where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize there were subsets of atheism. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But I think uh, you know I've heard um, I've heard uh, people uh, of of other religious backgrounds who've um, become X whatever have said that you know I'm that they're they're still attached to you know they might be culturally Jewish or they might be culturally Muslim or whatever it's it's if you've been brought up a certain way it doesn't really leave you or it doesn't allow you to leave it very well so you're always X whatever. And you're carrying it, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's where it comes right down to accents. So accents again. I mean, I've been I've been in a bar in Dublin waiting for a train, and I get this old barfly telling me I'm friends with the Queen, because he knows he can hear from my voice what what end of Belfast I'm from. Like that's quite scary. Um, you know, we can tell from people's names usually. My name's fairly ambiguous because I'm Ulster Scots, so that could go either way. But, you know, generally you can hear from how people talk, what bit of Belfast they're from and what they're most likely to be. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's, a, there's, there's just so much, <laughs> so much complexity. It's all of it for, for such a tiny place. <laughs> it's so tiny. Uh... You can fit it in your back pocket. <laughs> Look, I'm not that big. Okay, now I'm joking. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with you. I'm trying to more or less break the tension at this point because I'm again, thinking about America. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is true. I mean, even then, like I can tell you right now, like with how big of a place America is, there sometimes where it feels like it's it's only tiny in comparison at times, especially if you are only brought up a certain way. If you've only been around certain people, if you've only been to a good couple places and such, like it can feel really tiny, but like for you guys you can probably go from like one side of the country to the other within a single day and uh, oh within a few hours yeah a few hours yeah Yeah. Yeah. on on the island of ireland yeah you can get from one end to the other in a few hours yeah yeah so it's one of those you know i can only imagine again with with all these different aspects that you were studying or whatnot like it showed not only how small the island is with how people can be connected but how big these issues might be more or less i mean it's one of those and you, you said you had a have you published the book based on your studies oh yeah quite a while ago now okay. yeah it's 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 upstairs i don't have it here was, but I'll, it's I'll, it's around i was gonna say if you can give me if you can like lead me in the right direction i would personally like to purchase the book because i would love to look more in depth in this kind of it's stuff. stupidly expensive because it's, it's an academic publication jesus <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah yeah okay fair enough i I'll, I'll see if I'll I send you. I'll send you like my PDF proof copy or something. There you go. Thank you for helping a fellow artist out. <laughs> it, it, it may well be on Google Books, but you're not allowed to look at that. I can't endorse anybody looking at Google Books. <laughs> just, just, I'm not putting that out there in any way. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, nevertheless, like I said, this th- these were all incredible studies that went to this sort of PhD for film studies and such. I-, I wanted to ask more like the film aspects that you actually appreciate or whatnot. What is it about films that fascinates you more than anything else? I think it's the way films can tell stories without words. Yeah. Um, the the nonverbal cinematic languages I think are fascinating. 
I think everything to do with film aesthetics is fascinating. I am learning more and more about sound in cinema because that is something that has been a dearth in my studies, which I'm trying to rectify these days. I think audio is massively important. And again, it doesn't have to be about dialogue or, or even music. It can be about so many things. Right. Um, you know, I think the technologies that have come out of and and have driven this medium fascinate me and i i don't understand it a huge amount but i try to you know i'm and i'm not i'm not a technophobe it's just you know i think when when things are just letters and numbers it's all a bit garbled to me but if you can show me a lens and i know what it does and what it can produce then i get really excited you know i love learning about okay these really long lenses produce a flattened image mm-hmm. that you know becomes actually quite um two-dimensional looking on screen or these tiny little wide lenses just make it bulge out a bit a bit like what you've got at the minute nathan you've got quite a wide angle lens going on there that's making your lens. yeah you've got uh, your walls bulging out so it has this distortion it has this shape to it behind you it's a way for me to showcase um, the amazing artwork from other people i found the podcast exactly it's a way of fitting in more stuff into your mise-en-scene as mm. we would say um you know so it's very well thought out um you know things like proximity where is the camera in relation to anything else and you know um is it moving is it you know is it is it at a canted angle is something a bit awry? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, if it's moving, what kind of movement is it? Is it on a dolly? Is it on a crane? Is it on a drone? Is it handheld? Is it a steady cam? I love learning about steady cam technology. It's yeah. fascinating, fascinating. Like full on harnesses, these things can weigh as much as a small person and the things that they produce, the images they produce. You know, I just all of that. It just it's a spark of curiosity, and it's how we tell stories through technology. You know, through this way of seeing that a human eye cannot achieve. You know, um, the, where cameras can be that human eyes can't get to. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, all of that, all of that. I I just I love it all. You know, the way that we can bridge one scene to another and they're totally not related but we can bridge that through sound in some way you know all of those things in combination the editing process i would say it's Mm. amazing how film can find a way to make something like two separate things that seem completely out there and have no association whatsoever make it kind of coherent flow to it with Mm. like subtle things like you were saying with the editing with the soundscape with you know uh certain techniques and all that kind of stuff like it's always outstanding Mm -hmm. yeah i get a real kick out of it i you know i i loved teaching that stuff um you know i was a film educator for quite a while um i crashed out of academia a few years ago um but you know i still try to do research i still try to publish when i can um you know um but you know as i say i I kind of, it's not just cinema for me anymore. I'm really into sculpture, really interested in live performance art, mixed media art, video installation. And I think as well, you know, especially with video installation, something that interests me is they've really swapped film and video have really swapped technologies this past lot of years because 
Originally in the 1960s, video is this, um, you know, new technology. All of these technologies, by the way, they, they are evolved from technologies of surveillance that were used by armies. The US Army, we have a lot to thank for for um you know video technology for example it's nice that we got some good inspiration from the army how about that (laughs) yeah um you know because these are commercial products that people people artists very poor artists who didn't get any funding suddenly they could start making moving image material um in the 1960s because they had the sony portapack and the sony portapack was a technology that developed out of reconnaissance missions in Vietnam. So, you know, you've got these developments through history of, um, you know, very much in tandem with conflict and surveillance. Um, and in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, the whole of it was very much a testing ground for surveillance technologies. And um, the UK is probably one of the most saturated countries in terms of closed circuit television in the world. And that testing ground was Northern Ireland for about 30 years. Um, You know, so that's sort of a a by the by, that technology and the technological history of all of that is really, really super fascinating to me. Um, You know, just how we make images and what do we use them for and what are we looking at and why are we looking at it and why are we looking at it in that way? And all of these big questions, Um, you know, and then how that translates into art Um, But yeah, so video installation, video art, you know, came from this electronic tape and now most video art is made on 35 millimeter film or 16 millimeter film transferred to digital video. And a lot of film is made on digital, you know, high grade digital video transferred, you know, maybe to film for screening in a special way or, you know, so on and so forth you know so the the technologies kind of leapfrog each other a little bit so i find that really interesting as well it's something i never really considered but i totally get what you're talking about is this sort of like expansion of art and different aspects of it is that more or less a byproduct of your podcast audiovisual cultures or is or is that the result of this expansion of uh curiosity with the arts Oh, I think it's it's definitely something I was already doing. Okay. And the podcast was a way of continuing to do that in some way. So um so I mentioned I twenty seventeen I was in a really toxic environment in the workplace. I became extremely ill with stress. I became too ill to work. Um so I ended up crashing out of academia because it was stay or die it, you know it, you know it was leave or die I mean really that bad and um I suppose doing the podcast was a way of thinking through well I've got all this knowledge and I've got you know I've got all these teaching materials and all this research that I've compiled over all these years and I you know, it's all just on hard drives stuck on my computer and I, I want to keep going. I want to keep researching and right. I want to keep doing new things. Um, but I was at a time in my life when I was really ill and um, I wasn't really able to to do too much. Um, but to be able to sit and talk something out, um, you know, and I had problems with my speech, you know, it really affected my brain in a lot of ways you know, the trauma of what happened, um, because I would have really struggled. I mean, I feel like I'm being very disjointed and talking to you now, but but I, c- I could barely get any words out. 
four years ago, this time four years ago, I would really struggle to have a cogent conversation for longer than 10 minutes. Okay. You know, so uh, it was a real struggle. And so eventually in 2018, I, I, I was messing about with audio recordings because it seemed like a good way of maybe trying to build toward another book project because I thought if I can record speech and then transcribe it, maybe there's something in there. Mm. So it started with that really. And then I thought, well, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. <laughs> it's really bad, but there's a particular podcast that I was listening to a lot. And, um, you know, it's a cinema podcast and it's by some academics in the UK. And okay. um, they're really great guys and they make really interesting content. But the quality of the podcast bothered me. You know, I, I, I couldn't physically listen to it gotcha. because, you know, the quality was really bad. They left loads of big, long gaps in, you know, they would do things where they would have Q&As, the screenings back when the world could do that sort of thing, um, you know, uh, and they would leave in all these big silences where somebody's running around with a microphone to get it to somebody in the audience. And it's like, it's the work of a few seconds to just take that bit out. Like, what do you right. do? <laughs> and, you know, the, it was very quiet and, you know, all the kind of common mistakes that amateur podcasters make quite early on, but they were, you know, three, four years in and still not fixing these things. So yeah. I was really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine for some people, they probably appreciate like the lived in experience. Like they were there as part of the event, but at the same time, like for, for some people that when they appreciate podcasts, like having that much dead space in something that, you know, for a lot mm -hmm. of people just listen to whatnot. Like I can imagine how infuriating that can be for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it was episodes that were maybe two and a half hours long and they could have been an hour and a half easy if you'd just <laughs> taken out the gaps. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I got a bit frustrated with all of that and I just thought, well, why don't I try it? Like, I, you know, you don't know till you try. So I thought I'd have a go and then I thought that might solve the problem if I learned to edit. Then if I was disjointed in my speech... I can just nick out the little gaps so I could make it sound like I can speak properly. And, you know, just eventually over time, I've got better, you know, and I've um, improved a lot. I'm not saying I'm good at, at any of this, but I've improved an awful lot from what from where I was a few years ago. Uh, you know, and and I think we've had some really interesting stuff, you know, so very early on. I mean, it was such a tiny thing. Um, and my partner is a film historian, okay. you know, so he's he's sort of got the early periods down and I'm more contemporary. And between us, we've got quite a lot of knowledge and we can meet in the middle with stuff. You know, and we've got loads of teaching experience of all different kinds of areas in film. So, you know, we started out really doing close analysis of films together on the podcast. So a lot of the earlier episodes are, are like that and... You know, we will hopefully do more of those again in future. It's just I've had such an amazing run of guests that it's yeah. become more of an interview show, um, you know, which is amazing. Uh, you know, so I'm always open to, right, let's just watch a movie or, or let's uh, look in an exhibition and talk about that together. You know, I'm very okay. open to doing those sorts of things as well. 
So yeah, so it came out of that and it came from that desire of I was already expanding my research Mm -hmm. and I already was doing these comparative studies between, okay, so there's this film in Northern Ireland that's done this way. There's this film from Chile that's doing something not the same, but similar enough. And I think they're a really interesting comparison. So I was starting to do these comparative studies on a global scale, you know, sort of transnational um, comparisons and right. what that was what, what what that was generating. So I was starting to go somewhere with that. And I suppose the podcast was in a space of also, I think it was a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a counter to um, uh, to academic publishing because academic publishing is glacial. It's so slow. It's so, so <laughs> slow. I have, I've got stuff supposed to have been published in 2019. It's still sitting on somebody's hard drive somewhere because, you know, pandemic. Yeah. But that the, but if it hadn't been the pandemic, it would have been something else. I'm, I'm serious, like it's stuff that's just been lying around, right. not being looked at on somebody's hard drive, and it's ready to go. And, and it's frustrating because it's already out of date. It's already out of date yeah. because it's been sitting on someone else's hard drive for two years. And, um, you know, so that's a real frustration with academic publishing when it goes through the peer review process and things get delayed all the time oh, and yeah. yada, yada. So a podcast is a really nice way of just buying it's out there, buying it's out there. Okay, it's not peer reviewed, but it's ideas and people are hearing them, hopefully, and learning from them and joining in with them and having more ideas because of the ideas. And ideas are amazing things and there should be lots of ideas in the world. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of what what it's supposed to try to do really I, I was gonna say for for those who may not be aware of the podcast in the first place which come on why not it's a wonderful podcast <laughs> how how would you describe audiovisual cultures podcast for someone who might be like stepping into it the first time yeah so um you're really going on a journey with me and i'm learning from people about lots of different areas of what could be considered audio and or visual culture in some way um so it's audio uh audio visual visual whatever um and it was a sound and image based and then cultures plural because there's not just one culture of this you know we're looking at this on a on a global scale it can be any time any place um, it can. It doesn't have to be the contemporary period. It doesn't have to be the modern and contemporary period. It can be from way earlier than that. Um, I just want your lovely knowledge. I want to have input, just like number five in short circuits. Give me lots of lovely input, and let me learn all about the amazing things that you know from either your research, from your research, and or your practice. You know, what have you learned about these areas? Tell me all about it. I'm going to hoover it all up and then I'm going to spit it out to my audience is kind of the idea. And, and, um, and have them more or less like grow with you as well. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Because I think that the idea of it is um, that the idea is culture is growth. You know, what is a culture in science? Well, you're growing things, you're developing things. Oh, yeah. um, and really it's about knowledge sharing, knowledge growth. And, you know, I I really want to promote the idea that 
arts and humanities. It shouldn't be this floaty, you know, um, mystified, inaccessible thing. What we are doing is a subset of anthropology. We are learning about humans. We are learning about modern day humans and how they communicate with each other and how they tell stories and how we, you know, how we communicate what we can't say to each other, you know, what's what's going on in there. But also just, it, it does, and it doesn't even need to be as profound as that. It's just, well, we make stuff because that's what we do. That's just what we're programmed to do. Yeah. You know, we make stuff and that's interesting and it can be just interesting or it can be just, that's just something you do and that in itself great you know Absolutely. i think these are all legitimate areas for study and it should be taken seriously now uh, you've had a, a wealth of different guests and such i think you and i talked what was it you've had what 50 70 guests or something like that on your podcast mm. correct me if i'm wrong maybe a little more maybe a little less yeah yeah probably a good few more since we last spoke in april right. i think it was yeah so i've yeah. had quite a few more since then trust yeah. me for you and me both a lot of stuff has happened since april yeah uh, <laughs> But so, so you've had these like wealth of different guests and such that I imagine has expanded kind of your knowledge on what a culture, you know, what is in there in your, in the different cultures that are out there. Is there a guest that comes to mind that has more or less like, I'm not going to say favorite, but is like helped you grow like the most or whatnot. Like you went into it, like not sure what to think of. You did your research. You talked to the person and it really expanded your mind on what could be presented in this audiovisual culture. Is there a guess you can think of that, like, is the the best example of that? Mm. It's hard to choose. It's hard to choose one. Um, I think probably because I've uh, I've just recorded something just this week that mm. I'm editing at the minute that is going to be coming out in September. Um, I have a, a guest coming on called Bo Lamore, who's based in LA. Mm. And um, this is somebody who works in audio production and has a film background okay. and um, learned loads of cool stuff from Bo about audio. Because as I say, I'm trying to expand this. It's not something I privileged very much in my film education and my film education as it was, didn't privilege sound and audio. And I'm trying to rectify that now. Um, so I learned loads of stuff about sound design and sound editing um, from from Bo, and that's going to come up in September. Um, and uh, we're going to have the, the proper video and everything on YouTube for that because he does demonstrate some old analog Ooh. stuff that, you know, ideas he'd had. And then he had this amazing engineer who built this equipment that could pan sound and post you know, so it could move the sound around. Because we think of panning, we think of a camera moving side to side. Um, you were pivoting um, left to right and so on. But this is something, this is a device specifically to achieve that in audio. And this is before digital audio workspaces right. uh, emerged, you know, so it's analog. Um, you know, so he demonstrates lots of stuff like that and it's quite cool. So that that's that's quite prominent because it's recent and my memory is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've had some really, really, I've had some just fantastic guests. I've, I learned so much from so many different types of people. It's just such a privilege to do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those like, 
excluding myself for a second here, some of the guests that you've actually brought on the podcast or whatnot has been absolutely outstanding. Just hearing like what their stories, what got them interested in this kind of stuff. It, it's what I tried to go for with this podcast, but I feel like you, you add sort of like an intellectual light to it. Cause I guess it's part of your background. That's one of like an educational, like look to it to where like you're learning alongside with them. And the audience is learning alongside as well of these incredible, like opportunities, these incredible examples, like what could be, uh, what like you're trying to show what an audiovisual culture could be like it's mm-hmm. it's incredible to see that kind of expansion and growth more or less is there a, like as we're talking you're actually approaching your 100th episode which i can only imagine how ecstatic you must be for that the fact that you've had this journey this long to have a hundred episodes has there ever been moments where you've had to step back and just be like this is my life i'm getting to to talk to these incredible people and such like how exactly like what have I done to get this point? Has there been that kind of surreal, like what in the world moment for you doing this podcast? Mm, I try and remind myself to have that attitude more because I, I think I spend so much time going, I don't have a proper income. I am mitching off my partner. This isn't good. Uh, you know, I, I get really anxious about that sort of stuff and I have to go, actually like you're in a really privileged position and you're getting to do something you really enjoy to do and you know you've got a good partnership and you know just stop fretting about this stuff because something will come you know I'm trying to say yes to certain opportunities a lot more because you never know who's going to listen you never know who somebody's going to turn out to be you never know um, who you're going to make friends with and form a good network with and what opportunities might come of that. So I try and remind myself to to feel like that because it is, it is such a privilege. I'm in such a privileged position. I think I feel quite guilty about that sometimes as well because there are earlier times in my life when I, if you told me this was what was in my future, I would not have believed you. You know, times yeah. when I was in minimum wage jobs where I was completely miserable and just working every hour I could physically manage to work in a, in a horrible job for, for rubbish money, barely able to eat, you know, I've been through all of that and I, I feel like I've got a bit of survivor's guilt from a lot of that, you know, and I, I, it is, it is such a privilege and, and I think it's, I, I try, I hope that it's, good work you know and I hope that somebody's getting something out of it and it's it's so amazing Nathan to hear that even you're getting something out of it and I get a lot out of your podcast as well because we're I feel like we're exposing each other to people we wouldn't normally have come across and that's the amazing thing about podcasts yeah I mean especially because in fact that you know we're art podcast and our thing is we're trying to talk to other artists about their art form so like for us like you know it's basically like it's almost like a tennis match in a way it's like you know i'm learning something new about you know the the way women uh, uh, women are treated in hollywood and you're learning something about you know animation that you may have never considered beforehand or something else you know like it, it's if nothing else, it's a warrant of the art community as a whole, and at least in my opinion, the fact that there's still room to grow and there's still room to learn all sorts of different aspects of it that we may have never considered before. Yeah, completely. Um, and I, I do. I learn loads about animation from your show, which I love because I love animation. We've yeah. talked quite a lot about filmmaking, but, you know, I, I am such a big fan of all kinds of animation. I really, really am, and I love learning from your guests 
about the processes of all of that. It's oh, yeah. so great. Yeah. Uh, trust me. I, hey, I'm learning alongside with you. Okay. It's one of those like, cause I, I, I think I've told you my background on your podcast, but it's one of those, like, mm-hmm. I went to school for filmmaking, but I wasn't, like, you know, animation is a different aspect of filmmaking. It's still filmmaking at the end of the day. So, like, any chance I can to, like, absorb any of that knowledge and what goes into an animated project, I would love to learn more about. So, yeah, like I said, I'm learning alongside with you. And, I've, and hey, mm-hmm. I've said before, uh, I, for any of the people that are listening that are former guests of mine, hey, Go talk to Paula. Be on her podcast because yeah. I'm sure she would love to learn more about animation as a whole. So, yeah, you'd be so welcome. And you know, I'm I'm based in the UK, so it's it's a largely UK audience that I've got. So you'd expose yourself to that side of the pond. You know, I mean, I do try and push Nathan's podcast onto people here, but you know, we do what we can for each other, which is really lovely. But yeah, you're very, very welcome on my podcast. I'm sure I've got get I've had prior guests as well who'd be great on your show as well, Nathan. Duly noted. We, we I guess yeah. we just, I guess we just gotta go back and forth and just have like a list of like, hey, here's some of the guests I think you'd love and you know, yeah, for both of ours. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and say, <laughs> George Edwards, I know you're listening. Paula, she's she's gonna want the you know, you're oh. gonna want to be on her. Cause, cause He's a UK space animator that has worked on oh, great. Uh, worked on stuff like uh what was it has been hotel if you're aware of that project okay. or whatnot so like and uh re- he's done a lot of reanimation projects he's got his own short animated film that should be out by the time this podcast is out called Puppet the Nightmare Elf which is oh. absolutely lovely um it's one of those like I think he would be great on your podcast as well just kind of getting the the different aspects and the stuff he's trying to go for as well I'd love that. I, I, I love that, George. And then that's <laughs> I'll be sure to put a good word in for him after the fact. Um, I mean, we're, we're we're talking about all these different you know aspects of the podcast that you're currently working mm. on, but I want to I want to look yeah. a little bit forward ahead, just a little bit. Where do you hope to see mm. this podcast grow? Oh gosh, um, yeah, I think I had hugely ambitious ideas for it very early on. Like I wanted to create some sort of educational network or something but still a one-woman show after all this time I'd love it to be more collaborative which I think is great having guests on makes it more collaborative mm-hmm. um but it would be nice to not be doing it solo all, all the time um I don't really know I mean I think at the minute all I can think about is just get the next episode done yeah. I, I don't know what the future of it is I don't have a five-year plan for that I had so much of my life where it was around writing five-year plans and you had to have everything down to the minutest detail that I just like, I'm just surviving this week and that's enough right now. <laughs> so I haven't really thought about it. I have I, I, I have got 101 recorded, Ooh. 100's in the edit at the minute. Um, so we have passed that hurdle, which is pretty amazing. Um but yeah, I just, it's pretty easy breezy. I just don't have massive plans. As I say, it's just, just get through the next ones and make them as good as you can make them. That's, yeah. that's, that's all, you, all I can think. That's yeah. all you can ask for at this point. Just kind of just keep pushing along and keep putting out amazing content at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess speaking of some of the amazing content, I'll go ahead and ask sort of less the dream scenario, if I may ask. Let's say I am... Big shot, Mr. Moneybags. I come to you. I'm like, Paula, look, 
your your research is absolutely outstanding. It's, it's very rare to Thank see you. something amazing like that. And your podcast, I cannot get enough of it. It's absolutely outstanding to, to hear the stuff you got out. I have connections to anyone and everyone in the industry. And I have more money than there should be available in the world. So <laughs> if given the opportunity, what would be the mm. dream Paula Blair project? Oh, my goodness. Um, I'd like to buy time to do research and write more books. Okay. Uh, I would love a, a wee recording studio. Would be there so class. Like a wee lovely. studio. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, I've kind of done a makeshift thing in my little corner here, my little geeky corner with my books and things. <laughs> um, my homemade padding that I've made myself as yeah. well. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I'm I'm quite rubbish at that. It's one of those questions where if you hypothetically won the lottery that you don't actually play, what would you do with the money? Right. Um, you know, and it's just like all I can think of is get people out of debt. Who needs yeah. what? Who yeah. who needs what to do what in their lives? <laughs> you know. So it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? But yeah, something like you know a wee recording studio, time to to just take the time and knock out some more books and make them really good and um yeah see what people need and get some good really high-tech equipment so that i could do proper you know really good quality videos stuff um i don't know uh, maybe that's very unadventurous but yeah, I, I that's th a start I think being able to pay people to contribute to the show now that's really important because that's something i feel quite bad about is we're always asking each other can you do this for free you know and i feel bad about that um but yeah so that that would be another thing is to give contributors a you know a fair amount of money for their time would be really nice uh, that that's completely fair and honestly like you say you know it's not very advantageous or you know adventurous with it but i mean that no one said you had to spend everything in the world to get everything <laughs> possible it's one of those that's if that's what you're comfortable with more than anything else that should be what you achieve that should that yeah words are wonderful that should be what you dream <laughs> of more than anything else so there you go. Aww. Now, I I know you said you don't like to, you don't really have a five to ten year plan, but I want to come down from the dream scenario real quickly. I want to come back to reality for a little bit. And I want to <laughs> ask, where do you hope to see yourself five to ten years from now? Oh, gosh. Well, in five to ten years, I will be in my 40s if I make it. I know I don't like that old, but I am, dear listener. Um, you could have so me fooled, I I'm being honest. Yeah, and I know I've got a very young sounding voice. I've got the voice of a 10 year old child. So that's a bit confusing. I, I know I'm aware of this, but I am much older than I seem. I was going to say at like least Yoda. 18. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, like that's where voice acting would be really fun. I'd love to do a bit of training in that, actually, because I think I could be like. Um, uh, what's her name? Is it Tara Strong who plays yes. Timmy Turner? Yes. I could play a ten-year-old boy, no problem. I think. I think I could if I got got the right training for my voice. I could be the next Tara Strong. That'd be class. That'd be really fun. Um. So I'm. Uh. But but in real terms, I don't know. I mean, just I guess just still being alive would probably be quite nice. It's a good um, start. And yeah, it's a good start. I mean, every year, every every time I have a birthday, I'm like, oh, I made it around another turn around the sun. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, surviving, hopefully thriving. Um, 
And I think continuing to explore more creative avenues for things and um, finding some contentment in this crazy world. Yeah. Um, you know, and I would love to have published at least one more book. That would be great. And one that people can actually afford to buy, you know, and people might actually read it and, you know, be able to support their local bookshop from buying it or something. That would be really lovely. Um, I'd like the world to not be on fire. I know that's not about me specifically, but uh, it so would just be nice. <laughs> yeah, it would just just be nice if we get. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm getting beyond myself here, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Nathan is is the answer, but uh, yeah, just hopefully just doing okay. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, that uh, you know, you say like five to ten years from now, I don't know about the world being on fire, but everything else, I think that's reasonable to see. You know, five to ten years from now, I mean, you've made it this mm. far in life. What's stopping you from going forward? You know, Pro- me probably is what yeah. stops me. Yeah, fair enough. That's uh, <laughs> getting 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 taking taking care of me and getting me to wise up about stuff is probably the way forward. There, there I'm working go. on it. I'm working on it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, as we're winding down the interview, I just have one last question that I want to ask. Obviously, you're deeply entrenched when it comes to arts in one aspect or another, whether it be film, you know, TV, you know. Love all, it, love it, love it. All Total nerd for all that stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> How important is art not just for you, but for the world as a whole? Oh, I think it's desperately important. I think it's important beyond measure, but but we can measure it and people are measuring it. Yeah. Actually, that that is, um, I, I have had uh, a fairly recent guest on my podcast who is a scientist who is looking into this, who is mm. actually measuring the health benefits of creativity mm. um, and getting people access to creativity and overcoming any potential barriers to creativity. Um, it's hugely important for mental well-being we are creative creatures by nature and yeah. creative can be any any kind of thing it could be just you know it could be just the way you n- knock down some wood to build your house it could be um you know how you form a sentence you know it could be any number of things really um i think people decide that they're not creative people and i don't think that's true i think I think we all have some degree of a creative impulse, whether we're going to admit that or not. Um, and we need an outlet for things. I mean, if you think about it, we we in modern society have developed our lives as such that we're constantly on the move and we're constantly focused on work and we're constantly focused on what this society, and let's face it, it's a capitalist society, what it wants us to produce for it. You know, whether that's the nuclear family or it's uh, a product from labor, whatever it happens to be. And we lose sight of of what we really are, which is creatures who communicate and move around. And, um, you know, we do stuff. We do stuff alone. We do stuff together. Um, and we create things. I mean, you look back to what our ancestors used to do. They used to find ways of making marks on cave walls and depicting what they did with their day and depicting their 
stories and then they came up with languages so that they could share their stories through those languages. We are inherently creative creatures. It is part of what we are. It is part of our evolution and it will be part of our future, whether people like that or not. And I think there is no shame and there's no harm. There is only good that comes from creative, you know, from from exploring your creative impulses. As long as things do not cause other people harm or other creatures harm, then have a go at something and having a go at something is much more important than just never doing it. Exactly. I think that that I can't think of a better way to word it. Honestly, that, that is beautifully said. If I do say so myself, um, that is all the questions that I have. Uh, I've already showered you with a bunch of praise, but I'm gonna shower you with more because it's my Aww. podcast. I do what I want. Um, <laughs> Paula, uh, your podcast is honestly one of the, one of the ones I constantly go back to. I, I love the, mm. I love the content that you're bringing forward. I love the guests that you're bringing forward. I, I appreciate, like I said, the, the more or less the academic aspect of art that some people might not even really consider at times. I appreciate that to the nth degree or whatever mm. thing. But now I've actually had a chance to sit down, listen to your story, listen to all the stuff that you've like invested your time in more or less than nothing else. It makes me truly appreciate what you're doing out there more than anything else. And if this is what you've gotten to this far, especially because the fact that you're, again, getting close to that 100 episodes, which is a big number for a lot of podcasts and such, the fact that you're still powering through despite all that you've gone through is it's inspiring more than anything else. So mm. thank you for what you do. Thank you for keeping moving forward with what you're presenting more than anything else. And I'm one of the few right now, but hopefully many here in the short term and long term future that's going to be rooting for you every single step of the way, because what you have presented out to the world is absolutely outstanding. So thank you for all the time and dedication you've had to this craft. And thank you for presenting a great product. And I hope other people really get the opportunity to listen and appreciate it like I do. Nathan, I hope someday we are able to meet in person and I can give you a big, massive bear hug. That's, this is, I'm not, I'm, I, I find it really difficult to be, um, sort of emotional, emotional through words. Um, but that, that's really beautiful. It means so much. And I feel very similar about yours, uh, about everything you're doing as well. I'm so glad that we've met and, um, you know, I, I just, I really value what I think, what I hope is becoming a really lovely friendship as well. I think we've got something really lovely here. You're, I'm very fond of you and, you know, I, I just love the mutual support that you give people as well. And um, you've been so kind, so generous, and um, I appreciate everything you've said very much. And I'm very embarrassed. <laughs> I, I mean, at least at least for me, it's one of those, you know, uh, again, mm. I'm, I, you know, I make a podcast where I'm presenting artists as, as well as you are. And so any chance I get, I can get to support other people that are doing this incredible thing and giving people the proper platform that they do deserve, which mm. I think you're doing. And then some with the people that you're bringing on, even people that I would probably never even consider beforehand. Like, I think it's, it's a testament to both how the art community is, but more than anything else, it's a testament to how passion can really show through with, people and what they want to do so thank you more or less for showcasing your passion to the world and letting them see just how amazing people can be 
Oh, thank you, thank and, you. And I really do hope this is the start of a of a wonderful friendship more than anything else because I I have enjoyed talking with you both when I was on your podcast and you sitting down here today. So mm-hmm. I'd love it if we could do just a a a, kind of, a, a vaguely regular catch up with each other. Like you're yeah. on Instagram now. Let's hook up and do Instagram lives every now and again. Just catch up, see how everybody's doing, and chat about how it's all going you know i i'd really love that be a really lovely thing to do as a matter of fact i'll go ahead and ask this little quick question again it's been since april since we last really chatted more Mm. than anything else and you ask a lot of questions on my appearance on the podcast which i absolutely love being on your podcast i love the questions that you had thank you a a, a way for me to really showcase myself has there any is there any questions that you didn't get the chance to ask then that you'd like to ask now or any updated questions i guess since again it's been months since we last chatted that I have for you? Yes. Do you mean? Ah. Um, I guess, I mean, are there anything, is there anything that you've learned in the past few months or anything that you've been developing on in terms of, do you think you've made improvements to your show? I mean, I think so. I think you're getting tighter at your interview technique. I, I'm hearing that. And, um, you know, but it, but do, is there any areas where you think you're improving all the time, that sort of stuff? The two biggest improvements I'll have to say is, one, the chance to really listen to other podcasts and listen to how they're going forth with their interview style. You said that I'm improving my interview fashion or my my interview style and how tight it's becoming. I want to partially thank that to the person in charge of my podcast network, uh, Joanna Van Thine, you know. Uh, of the Apocalypse mm. Now podcast. She was the one that recommended to me whenever I first signed on to the podcast that I listened to some of the other like bigger names out there and listened to how they interview and such. Mark Marin is like the biggest one for me. I've listened to WTF with some of the guests that he brought on. I love how the how he like he has his questions. I can tell that he has the questions set up, but there are just times where like he just flows with the conversation and expands mm-hmm. on certain points. And that's the thing that I've tried to implement with my podcast, make it kind of a nice, fun, flowing, free conversation more than anything else. The other biggest thing that has really helped out with my podcast is bringing on my producer, the wonderful Maria mm. Moreno, a.k.a. Tipsy J. Hearts. Um, I have showered her with a million miles of praise, <laughs> but... Uh, I would be remiss if I like truly didn't like expel just how much she really means for this podcast. Cause like, it's not like the podcast was really lacking without her. I should say like, I I was still doing a podcast. It's not like it was, it was a struggle, but like ever since Mm. she's been on board, helping me out, bringing on guests, bringing some amazing questions. I'd never even thought of beforehand is, you know, connections with people and like moral support more than anything else. She yeah. has she has really taken this podcast to a, another level that I cannot thank her enough on on a daily basis mm. just for being a part of it in one aspect or another. Brilliant. That's great. That's really great to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Um and I appreciate that question. Thank you. Um <laughs> for those who may not already know, go ahead and uh go ahead and plug your stuff for the people at home. Okay, so let's see, uh, Audiovisual Cultures podcast, if you search for that, you should find everything you need. Um, it's audiovisualcultures.wordpress.com. And if you want to look at me, I've just set up one of those bio link thingies. So mm. I think it's bio.link forward slash P-E-A-B-L-A-I-R. If you want to just get 
lots of different links for all the different things that I do. If nothing else, I'll be sure to have a, a link in the show notes so people can easily find that Thank stuff you. there. Absolutely. Do you have any final words before we sign off? Oh, I just, I, I just, again, thank you so much. I always enjoy any time we have together. It's always just such a blast. It's yeah. so much fun. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm blushing still from all your high praise. And um, I just want people to, to stay safe, keep learning, keep your minds active, you know, just, and, and just go for it, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And hey, I, I you know, we're friends on Discord, we're friends on Instagram. I'm a message away if you ever just want to chat. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh for the people at home, all I have left to say is hasta luego, mi amigos. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. 